The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! You think he's gone? He's not gone! That's the whole point! He's never gone! Is this some radical new therapy? You see? Well, I mustn't have been paying attention. Are we up? Are we on? I'm going to hand this to Maddie and see if she can't get that and post that on my Facebook page so everybody, okay. so everybody at, at home can, uh, can follow along. So welcome to the second edition of the Paying Attention Television Podcast. We've got, actually got a studio audience. It's amazing on a day like today that people braved the snow to come in, and boy, do we have a treat for you guys. Uh, we have uh, Fred and Meredith, uh, minus Meredith, because uh, she decided to stay home today with the, with the baby, which is fine. Uh, though we have instructed Fred to make sure if only one of them can make it, it's Meredith that makes it because eye candy kind of makes the show. We'll try in the future. All right. Thank you very much. No Appreciate problem. that. Um, we also have in about uh, – we're going to let Fred do the news, and then when Fred's done, you're not going to believe this. You ready for this? We've got the great Al Caprillian's going to call in to talk about the storm. So WHDH doesn't have him. 4, 5, and 7 doesn't have him. WNDS doesn't have him. Paying Attention Podcast has the great Al Caprilli to talk about the biggest storm of, like, you know, the century. Um, but before we do that, uh, we've got a lot of stuff to get to. We've got our first corporate sponsor. We want to thank Twin Light Security. They're actually the guys that do my security when I'm driving around Lawrence and I'm uh, going to shooting calls and fire calls. Um, I've got uh, Mike Thibodeau and a couple of guys either ride with me in the car or there's a car behind me with, you know, armed security. Uh, and, and thank God for that, because if you were watching us live this week, you saw me getting assaulted on Lowell Street. That was pretty fun. Um, and it was, it's just always good to have security guys that have your back when stuff like that happens. Uh, but before we get to all of this, we've got, uh, we've got Arlene, uh, Arlene Santiago from the Lawrence School Department is going to talk about homeless children with us afterwards. But first, let's go to uh, Fred Van Mangus. Mac- Van? Van Magnus. Van Magnus. Okay. I'm, I'm going to get it. I've known the guy one. 10 years. Eventually, I'll get it. It's a tough one. To talk about the news, and I'm going to try very hard not to snark through the news, but you know that's going to fail miserably. That's okay. Well, we've got some important stories to cover, so let's get to it. And we begin today with news out of Lawrence, where 2017 ended on a particularly violent note. Uh, so it was shortly after 9 p.m. on New Year's Eve when police were called to the area of Bellevue Cemetery for a report of gunshots. And when they arrived on the scene, they found a minivan with its windows shot out. Uh, and uh, that was in front of 170 Reservoir Street. Inside the van, they found the body of a man who appeared to have been in his 20s, who was covered in blood and appeared to have been shot multiple times. Now, if that man's death is officially ruled a homicide, it would bring the total number of homicides in the city of Lawrence during 2017 to 12. So that's, that's, that's not bad, actually, for Lawrence. That's like one a month. That's like a vacation for Lawrence. They shouldn't be upset about that. They should celebrate that. Well, everyone is bad, but so 12 for the year. I get you. 12 for the year. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Uh, Police would not comment on whether that shooting, uh, which was up on Reservoir Street, was connected to a separate incident earlier in the weekend on Springfield Street. Oh, yeah, Yeah. we were at that. Yeah, so this was quite something. So on Saturday, police were called to Springfield Street. In Lawrence. In Lawrence. Yeah. For a report of up to six shots being fired uh, from a red Honda Accord. Now, remember that car because so they got on scene. No one was reported injured. But as they were investigating the scene, they received a call for an automobile accident just down the street involving a car of a similar make, model, description. So they arrived on scene there and they found a red Honda Accord. 
crashed into a multifamily dwelling. And what's worse, when it hit the house, uh, it ruptured a gas meter on the scene when it crashed. So the smell of gas in the air. Officials worked quickly to evacuate several nearby homes until the gas company could secure the scene. Mm -hmm. No word yet on any arrests from this incident uh, because the driver and passengers of the suspect vehicle had fled the scene. Wow. So quite something, Lawrence. Yeah, and we, we covered both of those stories. We were at both of those scenes. Yep. And, um, you know, when you, when you hear about it on the news, you don't realize how volatile that neighborhood is while that's going on, whichever story we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, we got to the, the scene at, uh, at Springfield Street, and while that stuff is going on, the cops are putting down their evidence markers for the bullet casings and other cops are knocking on doors to evacuate homes. Everybody else in the neighborhood comes out to see what's going on. Right. And it creates a, a real chaotic scene for the first responders, the firefighters and the police officers that are trying to do their job because they don't know who among these people might even be involved in what happened. Right. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty volatile stuff. When you're standing there on the scene, you get a much better understanding of how dangerous it is than when you're just watching it on the news. Very dynamic. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, Tom, we have more news out of Lawrence. There's always more Shocking. news out of Lawrence. Shocking. Right? So this is a little bit different, though. So this was a man who was working as a paid contractor for the IRS, their criminal investigation unit. First of all, if you're going to hire someone to work for the IRS, right. for the paid criminal investigation unit, why are you hiring someone from Lawrence? Well, in this case, it didn't turn out well. It, yeah, it, <laughs> it didn't imagine. go too well. So he was sentenced in federal court in Boston for falsifying audio recordings in a federal investigation. This is pretty interesting. So his name was Eric Santiago Then He was 36, sentenced by U.S. District Court Judge Allison Burroughs to 22 months in prison in order to pay $10,000 in restitution. Uh, he had pled guilty to 10 counts of falsifying records in a federal investigation. So wow. here's what happened. It goes back to 2014. He was working as an undercover um, agent uh, working as a contractor with the IRS and uh, working with undercover evidence against perpetrators of a stolen identity refund fraud scheme. Uh, he was given money and set up a controlled meeting with a perpetrator um, to purchase fraudulently obtained tax refund checks. But instead, he set up a sham meeting with a cohort uh, and during which he obtained a list of personal identifying information rather than tax refund checks. He split the money he got with the cohort and then he worked with that person to cover up the evidence from the IRS subsequently. Now, didn't we just say last week, you can probably sell all the drugs you want and never get arrested. You could probably kill people and never get arrested. But don't screw with the IRS because it's IRS. never going to end well for it's you. It's always bad. No, nope. wow. they get their way. Yep, they so, do. Uh, different story here. So this involves uh, Representative Frank Moran doing something good. We like uh, Frank. We Frank's do. a good guy. Yep. He recently joined some colleagues in the Mass Legislature to pass some bipartisan legislation that updates the existing statute relative to English language education in the Commonwealth's public schools. Uh, it's known as the Look Bill, so that's um, an act relative to language opportunity for our kids, and it promotes research-based best practices for programs involving English learners. Now, Tom, since 2000, the number of EL students in Massachusetts has doubled to more than 90,000 students, which is about 9.5% of the uh, student population in the state. And while statewide graduation rates for students have risen over the past 10 years, the achievement gap between those students and other students persists. Wow. So that's what this bill is trying to work on. So, so the, what they're saying is that the public education system is doing just a really miserable job at educating immigrants who are coming here that don't speak English. It's not working. Something's not working. So, so. I actually thought this was a positive story, but the more I think about it, it's actually kind of an, it's a positive story that they're trying to do something about it, but 
the fact that we have a public education system that we're spending billions of dollars on is failing Latino, especially Latino, but mostly immigrant kids. Well, we're going to try to fix that. So oh, that's good. what this bill is going to do. Right. So uh, it, it expands current mandates for the use of sheltered English immersion in schools, giving educators flexibility to establish programs based on the diverse needs of their students. And it also expands parental choice. Excellent. So right now it's waiting the governor's signature, sitting on the governor's desk. All right. We'll have to call Charlie and make sure that happens. All right. Well, Tom, we know it's all cold outside. It is the cold. It's bad. It's cold. We're going to hear from uh, more about the weather in a few minutes. But you know what's heating up is the third congressional race. Oh, good. So I hear there's like 137 candidates in that not race. Not quite, but quite a few. So this is to succeed Congresswoman Nikki Songus, who said earlier this uh, in 2017 that she's not going to seek re-election. So right now there are 13 Democrats who, have, filed, uh, who are, have announced their intentions to run for the seat. And according to a recent report in the Lowell Sun, that would make this potentially the most contested federal election in Massachusetts history. Wow. So, Any Republicans running in that race? So there is one Republican. Okay. Rick Green, he's that's, a businessman that's out the of That's the guy I'm, I'm going to be supporting. There you go. So one Republican so far. So here's how it works. And now in order to qualify for the ballot, each candidate is required to collect signatures from 2,000 voters this spring. Uh, and if they get enough signatures, they'll run against each other in the Democratic primary. That's in September. And then they'll square off against the Republican candidate in the general election. That's on November 6th. I can tell you the dark horse candidate in that race to watch is Juana Matias, the, the freshman state rep from Lawrence. Yep. Now, when she first jumped into the race, I said she's got no flipping chance in hell of winning this. Mm -hmm. She's like 12 years old. She's in her first year of her first term as a state rep. She only won because she, she beat an incumbent in a primary that nobody showed up in. I, I don't see how she's going to be able to raise two to three million dollars, considering she couldn't raise two hundred and sixty-nine dollars for an ad in the Valley Patriot when she ran for state. Well, you rep. never know. But uh, we never see know. everybody lining up behind her. Maya Dan Rivera is now behind her. She's getting all kinds of big names out of Boston. Yep. So even though she's only like twelve years old, you know, I'm exaggerating. She's like I think like maybe twenty-three or something. Um, but even though she's just a kid, I think she may be the dark horse candidate that that might be able to surprise some people. You never know. You yeah. never know. So right now, 13-way field and still time left. Yeah, I'm, we'll still, with, I'm still with the Republican. There you go. Rick Green so, yeah. from Pepperell. All we right. want to thank Maddie for being here, too. She's just kind of sitting in because we needed somebody mm -hmm. pretty. <laughs> and tech support for you. And tech support. There right. you go. <laughs> so I'm using a Mac today. I forgot my laptop. So, Tom, we're speaking of political news. Oh, you have more. Have I'm some, sorry. I thought you were done. No, well, we have one more story. Okay, good. So one more political story. And this is out of Haverhill. Uh, and we're turning our attention to that city where there's been a change in leadership in the city's Republican City Committee. Excellent, because the, the person who's outgoing president is that scumbag Bill Ryan. Well, we uh, nothing about Bill Ryan. But the incoming person is someone you will know, and that is Meredith Warren. Oh, we love her. So you might have heard her name before. Right. She's friends of the show, and it does the news with me here. Regularly, and she um, and she works with has you? been elected. She works with me. Yeah. She has been elected the chair of the Haverhill Republican City. So Committee. basically, we just took over the Haverhill Republican City Committee. Well, Meredith did. All right. Well, then we so need to get, we need to get those people. Go. It was on a the friendly show. takeover. So yeah. Bill Ryan, uh, he was uh, chair of the committee for many years. He was the former mayor of the city and state representative from Haverhill, uh, and he decided not to seek re-election of the post. So she was elected. And she will be joined by school committee member Maura Ryan Ciardello, uh, who's going to be vice chair. And Bill Ryan's daughter-in-law. Cheryl Ferguson, who's continuing on as secretary. Okay. And so this will be the first time in the history of the city that an all-female team is going to lead the Republican city I'm committee. not sure why that's so important. So we wish them luck there. Very good. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Good story out here. Excellent. That's your news today on this very snowy day here in Salem, New Hampshire. Excellent. Well, I appreciate all of that news, some of it from the Valley Patriots, some of it from other places. Uh, we know that we're going to have Al Caprilli, and hopefully we can dial him in and get him uh, get him into uh, to talk about the snow. I, I I can tell you that like 
from I yesterday. do have uh, I have Al on the line now. You do. Al Caprillion, are you with us? I am with you. Hello, uh, Jonathan and Tom. I Good evening. Afternoon. Good evening, Good evening. Al. Yes. Hi, Pasha. Well, we don't have that. We have a big low freshman today, Tom. And uh, this is a pretty resemblance of the blizzard of 78. We don't want to scare anyone, but uh, there's been some major coastal flooding. The part of the seawall has broken or breached down in situate. Uh, we're fortunate that the best news I give both of you and all of you uh, watching is that this storm is moving along. The blizzard of 78 was uh, a blocking pattern. We had to system to the north that blocked it from moving away, so it spun around in a circle for a couple of days. This one's moving along, so even though the winds are going to continue through the evening and overnight, they're going to shift to northwest. Uh, this storm is moving. It has it's more, much more progressive than the blizzard at 78. We've got to get you to do a good, at least one good evening. Good evening. <laughs> it never gets old. I don't care what anybody says. It never gets old. So, Al, you know, every time there's a, there's a storm coming, they always overhype it. They always say there's going to be the biggest storm ever. They get these big graphics. Well, they name it a storm. One, I don't think this one was. Yeah, this one wasn't high overhyped. I think we we saw the computer models that nailed it right on Tuesday. And let me just explain what we were happening. You know, back all over the weekend and Monday, we were hedging on the track. There was a piece of energy in the that's in the north. Remember, I talked to you. We mentioned this in the article for this month, the Valley Patriot. The right. northern jet stream and southern jet stream. They face together that piece of energy coming in the Pacific Ocean. I remember when you have energy in the upper atmosphere of the Pacific Ocean, there's not much upper air. The upper air network is kind of sparse over the Pacific Ocean, extreme western Canada. That energy moved east. It was better sampled by the upper air network. And then by Tuesday afternoon, we started to get a winter storm march, even up into New Hampshire. So uh, the computer models at 12Z, or the morning run came out on Tuesday. The 12Z was at 7 a.m. When that run came out, it was the, that energy was better sampled by the upper air network, and it started to phase with the southern stream. And also, if you, if I'm, just, I'm not going to get too technical, but the trough actually went negative tilt, which means uh, that most of the curvature on the net to the right, if you, if you think of a picture of the letter U, the U goes up, you know, south to north uh, on the right side of the little dip in the U. That's, that's what happens when you get more of a negative tilt trough. You get more curve flow coming up from the south and southeast to north and the northwest. So that caused the storm to shift further west. So the computer all run Tuesday morning once that energy was sampled. Storm shifted further west, and we start to up the storm. It's going to be a serious storm. The computer mall is now uh, intensified at 59 millibars in 24 hours. So 951 millibars is about 28 inches. So this is a very deep storm. It's a very serious storm, and I don't think it was overhyped by the meteorologists. I think the computer mall nailed it. On Tuesday, they said the storm's going to go sub-960, which is below. And I think this, the computer models did a great job once we got to the morning run Tuesday and thereafter. Once that energy was better sampled, the right. northern part and the north energy in the northern jet stream, once that was had more data from the upper air network and the sample that was going to phase, then, uh, then I, you know, we knew the storm was going to deepen. Don't right. forget the storm was over the warm Gulf Stream, too. So that's like, that's like you know... The gasoline to the automobile, it gets it going. So give, give us give us a rundown. So for the rest of the day, it's just going to snow, and then tomorrow it's going to what? Well, we're going to have snow today. It's going to taper off between uh, probably 7 and 8 this evening. We'll see it wind down. The, the, the northwest wind tonight, 20 to 40 miles per hour dire gusts. Uh, basically where you are, the Merrimack Valley, north and west of Boston, it's the fluffiest snow. So 
There could be some uh, areas scattered of power outages with the strong winds overnight, but the most outages will be over southeastern Mass Cape and Islands. There, it's going to be a wetter snow. In fact, the Cape had rain and up to about situate that had rain this morning. That rain snow line is moving east. So uh, there'll be a flash freeze over Cape Cod and even the Tucket Mountains Vineyard. So uh, that's worse than getting fluffy snow. We've had the fluffy snow. So we're going to see at least probably 9 to 14 inches. Some areas could see 16, 17 inches. But we have a fluffy snow, which the density is a lot lower than that heavy wet snow, which the power lines like the fluffy snow. But because of the strong winds, we could still even see some scattered outages in our area tonight. So, so Al, when is this going to stop? When does the madness end? Well, it's going to stop before midnight. If you wanted to pin me to a time, I'd say between 8 and 8.30. We should see the last, by 8.30, the last of flakes will be moving along the coast and out to sea. So it should stop before midnight. But the winds are going to shift to northwest. That storm moves near Nova Scotia this evening. We're going to get you a corporate sponsor for your call-ins, and we're going to pay you. You deserve to be paid. You're the greatest oh, weatherman okay. in America. Be, well, Listen. you know, I should be paid because 83, I started at WNDS. 35 years ago, it'll be this Labor Day this year, will be 35 years I started. So, well, listen, this I Labor Day. Get money for doing the- here's what we're going to do, Al. This Labor Day, we're going to have an anniversary party for you live on the Paying Attention podcast on Labor Day weekend. What do you think about that? Okay, yeah. Al, give us one, okay. one, give us one high pressure before you go. High pressure. That's going to come in for the weekend, but it's going to be really cold. So get ready. So the air mask, uh, Tom, tomorrow and Saturday. Uh, will be probably as cold, if not a little cold, than what we had last, earlier this week and last weekend. So you want to uh, just uh, all of you uh, people watching, Tom Johnson, you want to clear that snow even off your cars this evening before midnight, because even with the fluffy snow, it's going to become cement by lunchtime tomorrow, because uh, the temperatures are going to be falling overnight tonight and during tomorrow morning. All right, Al. Listen, we're gonna we're gonna get you a corporate sponsor so you can get paid to do these little call-ins. Maybe we'll even have you come into the studio someday. Uh, let's yep, chat about that over the next you, week. You, I'll let you find the sponsor. That's going to be your job, and then you can pay me when the sponsor can pay me. I get some more money. Absolutely, we got to make you money. We're going to make you rich. Okay, well, you that'll just, be a New Year's resolution. Get out some sponsor. Absolutely. We, we listen. You deserve it. You're the most famous and most awesome weatherman in America, and I'm just thrilled that we have you. Well, thank you very much. And hi, when's your paper coming out? Can we mention the Valley? When's your, yes, the next day. He's awesome. The next Valley Patriot comes out on Tuesday. Tuesday next week okay. will be the January edition of the Valley and, Patriot. Uh, for, for all your listeners, next month, February, we'll be talking about the storm. I'll have a lot of but most of the paper will be, uh, weather article will be on this storm coming up next month. So, Tom, we'll talk to you soon. Happy New Year, you and Jonathan, all your viewers, and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you, Al. That was phenomenal. How about Al Caprillion on the first page of this? Yeah, baby. Uh, and I'd like the record to show that he does not have a monitor in front of him. He was on his cell phone. All of that information is literally off the top of his head. Yeah, he does. And that's the thing. Like, you can hang – I hang out with Al all the time. And we'll go to, like, the 99. We'll be having, like, dinner. And people will come over, and they'll start talking to him. But he's, like, very shy. So he doesn't, like, react well to people, like, clamoring and asking him for his, for his autograph. But – my tip to anybody that wants to like go over and talk to Al if you see him in person, go over and ask, don't say hi first. Don't tell him you love him. It's going to make him shrink. Go over and ask him a weather question, and he will just explode. Like He will be your best friend for the next 20 minutes, and all he'll do is talk about weather. So that's my, uh, that's my tip. Uh, what do we have next? We get Ira. Should we go to Ira, then take a break, or take a break, then go to Ira? What do you guys uh, think? I'm struggling to get Ira up. So. All right, so let's take a quick break. Does that make it easier for you to take a break? Or Not at all. Not at all. 
Uh, yeah, if you guys could just talk amongst yourselves for a moment. All right. Uh, so we have Maddie here, who is my uh, my video producer. What is your official title? I'm like the producer slash audio video editor. Right. She's like my personal assistant. We <laughs> give her a really big, long title to make it yeah. look good. Uh, and Maddie's been uh, been working for us. She was here last week, but she was not on camera. Mm -hmm. Uh, as was Christina, who couldn't make it today. And she does all of my video production. She's, she's working with the producer to make sure all the pictures are right. Um, Christina designed all of the ads that you see in front. Um, Twin Light Security and Century 21, Team Zingales, uh, A&M Auto Body, the Tashi Law Office, Dental Partners, and, of course, Two Guys Smoke Shop, which is where we're broadcasting from. Right. So hopefully that gave John... Right upstairs in the uh, Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. Uh, I still don't have Ira up on the video, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to click the button here and take a quick break. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back after this on the Paying Attention Television Podcast, live at the top of Two Guys Smoke Shop. It's coming from Lawrence. Eighty-five percent of the fentanyl in this state is coming straight out of Lawrence, Massachusetts. I, and I sat down with Charlie Baker, oh. one of the governors from the New England region, this, and I said, "We're going cross borders. You better get ready." I'm working with the DEA in Bedford, working with the DEA in, DEA in Boston, our state police, their state police. Guess what? We're going in. And we're going to get tough on these guys. And I want to scare every dealer that wants to come across that border. We're not giving dealers nine months in parole and probation anymore. We're putting them away for the five, 10, and 15 years that they deserve. So we have Ireland Santiago. So I called uh, Jeff Riley, who is the superintendent receiver in the city of Lawrence. And those of you who have been following me on Facebook know that um, – um, I, I go live at night when I'm chasing police and fire calls. And while we're out there, we try to do s stuff to help out the homeless population. Um, we've partnered with um, uh, Deb Carberry at the Someone Cares Care Package organization. And they get a bunch of kids like every couple of months um, to put together care packages for the homeless. And in the care packages, there's things like hand warmers, uh, mittens, hats, gloves, um, feminine hygiene products for women, um, underarm, stuff like that, stuff that homeless people need, disposable stuff they need every day. And um, I don't know how I ended up, ended up doing this, but I, I, uh, I was there when they were putting the care packages together, and I was like, well, give me a box. I'm out anyway. I'm driving around going to fires and stuff. Uh, if I see homeless people, I'll just give them out. And uh, we've given out about 100 so far, um, which, is, you know, which is good, but it's sad that there's 100 people out there that needed them. Um, so I asked Jeff Riley, because we're very good friends, and I think he's doing an amazing job in the Lawrence schools. I said, you know, we, 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 we talked about opioids last week. And this week I want to talk about homelessness and how homelessness and opioids kind of go together. The, the, the opioid crisis and the homeless crisis uh, really kind of go together. And um, he came up with a great idea. He said, you know, the Lawrence Public Schools, we have a lot of children of homeless people. So we have homeless kids that we have to service. And I thought, great, can you send us someone that can talk about this? And, and look what he sent us, right? So he, he's, uh, he, he knows what he's doing, especially when it comes to TV. So I have Arlen Santiago here, and she is the, I'm going to get it right, you are the, um, you're the educational stability specialist. That is correct. All right, so tell us what an, edu what an education stability specialist is. So basically, um, what I do is that I work closely with homeless and foster students. Mm -hmm. So um, when a family comes in, um, I'm able to provide to them different type of resources where they can try to um, receive some information and help in the city of Lawrence. How many homeless kids, foster kids, do you think are in the Lawrence schools? Um, like roughly, if you don't have an exact number. In homeless, we have about 258. Wow. So you've got 258 kids 
in the city of Lawrence who are homeless. Mm -hmm. They come to school every day. You guys have to service them. Exactly. So how, how do you do that? How, what are some of the services that, that you provide to them? So most of the services that we provide to them and their families is either um, – it all depends. It's different cases. So if we have a family that comes in and is in need of shelter, we would usually refer them over to the Department of um, Housing and Community Development, which then they're able to place them either in a shelter if eligible. How is working with them? I've not had good experiences. Okay, <laughs> next question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's where you're going to get answers even if they don't answer. I love yes. that. <laughs> so, and so then the, their department usually places these families in shelters and provide them to um, either enroll in home-based program. Um, in other cases, we have families that will either refer them over to the Family Community Resource Center, which um, they provide a wide range of different services for these families. Um, not sure if you've heard of them before, but no. they're located at 530 Broadway in Lawrence. Um, they have been very helpful. Um, also, for unaccompanied youth um, adults, um, these are students that are um, 18 and older and no longer are under their parents' guardianship, so sometimes they become homeless. So then we usually refer them over to children's friends and family and youth forward. So you mean the kids that are in high school? Yes. But they're, old, but they're too old for the children program, right? Exactly. So that's what you do? Yes. So then we'll refer them over to children's friends and family and um, youth forward. Um, they have their own drop-in center, um, uh, plenty of connections to the community and resources, and also mentors for them. And they're located at 15 Union Street in Lawrence, Mass., um, we also not, not a great place to put that though, by the way, it's like the most dangerous neighborhood in the city. I don't know why they would put that there. It's, it's not that it's your fault, but I know, but you know, if you go in there, it's, it's a really nice setup. Is it? Yeah. All right. It's really nice. I'll take you where you know, I, I may actually <laughs> drop in just to see what you they look should. like for a follow up story. Should. Okay. You should. <laughs> I'm going to take you up on that. <laughs> and, 15 um, Union Street. 15 Holy Union, crap. Yes. <laughs> and, um, also sometimes we'll have, um, families that become homeless due to domestic violence. So mm -hmm. those type of families will refer over to the YWCA okay. and they're obviously located at 205 Haverhill Street in Lawrence, Mass. Do you have a lot of problems with... Um, just, just focusing on this on the, um, domestic violence thing. Do you run into a lot of situations where, uh, you know, a woman flees a situation with her children, but the children are still going to school, and the person they're fleeing knows that, they're, that they go to that school, maybe show up after school to try and get the kid, to talk to the kid? You, don't, you guys see that at all? Um, actually, we, we really don't. Um, I haven't noticed anything. I haven't heard of anything. Um, usually when a family comes in and expresses to us um, the domestic violence, we um, always have, we are always able to set up like an alert in our system so the schools are aware. Okay. Well, that's good. That's excellent. Mm -hmm. And um, also, we also have an in-house program that we help with families as well. Um, it's called the Lawrence Working Family Initiative. And um, we would help these families either in job search assistance, um, support to develop an action plan, coaching and family support as well for these families. Can I, can I ask you like a side question? Sure. Does all of these like big title programs and all <clears> this stuff, <throat> like all, doesn't can that just confuse you? I got, I got speakers muted. I got Ira. Um, all right, we got you, Ira. Just hold tight, buddy. Um, do, 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 do all these like big titles, special uh, education, specialist uh, stability, and all these other programs? Uh, doesn't all of those big educational names, doesn't that just confuse people, especially immigrants? Like if they hear that there's a program called something like that, they don't even know what it is. 
Well, usually um, we have um, brochures, and it kind of breaks down and explains in oh, okay. English and Spanish. So like that, they okay. can better understand what these um, resources can help them in and what, uh, what they provide for them. They're not loaded questions. I just honestly don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, my eyes glaze over when they go like, it's this specialty extra stupid-duper program. And I'm like, what does that mean? If I don't know what it means, some poor immigrant that barely knows English probably doesn't know. Yeah, that's why we have But you're it. educating them with all these flyers yes. that you sent, and they go home with the kids at school. They go home with the kids at school, or when the families come in and meet with me, I provide it to them. So you've got 200 and how many kids? 200, like 250 kids? So we have a total of, so far, 258 kids that are homeless, and 97 of them have came in from Puerto Rico due to the hurricane. Okay. So, so Lawrence is, share, is sharing some of the burden of trying to take care of the hurricane situation, too, with the people from Puerto Rico. That's pretty good. That is correct. And... Um, out of the 258, we have 51 um, families that are in shelters, um, 191 that are doubling up, and 16 that are in hotels and motels. 16? 16. Wow. So I would imagine that these kids, are have, they have a horrible home life. In fact, they don't have a home, so that's why they have a horrible home life. Um, I would imagine that their studies probably suffer, and I would imagine that you probably run into some discipline problems with some of them because kids act out when they've got stuff going on at home. Um, how does... How does that factor into the way you guys service these kids that are coming into these schools every day? Um, that I would have to look into it, okay. and then I can provide more information. Well, see, now we have an excuse to have her back, right? <laughs> <laughs> the good thing is that as long as they're within 45 minutes, we can provide transportation and keep them in our schools. Well, that's great. Yes. That's great. Now, is there, like I say, a kid comes to school tomorrow, and he says, look, my family lost, we lost our home. We've got nowhere to go. Um, Daybreak homeless shelter is, is over capacity. They opened up the Good Shepherd Center. That's now over capacity. What do you do? Like, what do you, what do, you do when, you, when, when, this, when the government options are no longer available? Are there private options? I mean, we try to reach out to Lazarus to see if they have space yeah, at useless. least for one they're or two useless. nights. No, they're useless. Don't even, yeah. bother, don't even bother calling them. They're totally useless. Yeah. The most that we can do is just refer them over to the Department of Housing Community Development. Oh, and God. Yeah, so know. maybe what we need, maybe what we need is we need another organization like a private nonprofit that can be the buffer in between these horrible state organizations that generally don't work um, and, and the Lawrence Schools, which actually has on the ground, you're dealing directly with these kids. Exactly. Um, I did hear about a new shelter. I'm not sure if you heard about it that just opened. It's called um, House of Mercy. Okay. And um, they are open from 7 to 5. And it looks like they have showers. Um, they have little sections where you can get haircuts. Oh, nice. And also um, clothing. They provide clothing to, to the families, okay. homeless families. Yeah, because I think most people don't understand, like, once someone becomes homeless, even, like, the basic necessities become difficult. Um, you know, underarm, things like that, and they, they don't have. And if they have it, where do they put it? They don't have a house, right? They don't have a bathroom, exactly. right? That's right. So, um, so I, I think you guys are doing good work in the Lawrence Public Schools. Um, I'd love for you to come back. And maybe talk a little bit more about, you know, the services and the numbers. And I'd maybe even like to look at maybe last year's numbers, the numbers before, and see if it's going up or it's going down. Um, but uh, but the, the, the problem of homelessness is compounded by the problem of the opioid crisis. Are you, are you dealing with kids who are the children of addicts who are homeless? So far, I have not. Okay. And That's actually a good answer. I'm actually, I was surprised, but I'm happily surprised. 
Yeah, I have not. But if in the case um, someone, a family does come forward in regards to the crisis, then um, we do have resources where we can um, refer them over to. How about how about um, students that are addicted? Do you have um, a lot of a lot of issues where you've got students that are kids that are taking drugs? Um, I have not come really across. in the Lawrence Public I, Schools. I have okay, not come across. Right, listen, I have I'm, not come across. I'll take but I can look into it, it and um, provide okay. you more information. Right, we've given her a, we've given her an assignment <laughs> now for her next appearance. <laughs> So is there okay, anything else you wanted to share with us, Arlen? Um, I really appreciate your time, especially driving through all this stuff. Who's your buddy that, you. that brought you in? Let's give him, let's give him a shout-out. That is David Hernandez. David Hernandez that drove her up in an SUV <laughs> to make sure she could be here Safety today. Safety manager of Lawrence Public Schools. Are you getting triple time <laughs> for today? Uh, I'm gonna talk, I'll talk to Jeff Riley and make sure you get taken care of. Trust me. We'll get you some overtime for today. <laughs> um, a few things that we also provide to these students is um, we'll also provide to the families um, meal sites and locations where uh -huh. they can um, are able to um, get some groceries and warm meals. And we also um, provide through Katie's Closet uniforms and clothing for the students. And um, we've had received um, donations for coats, hats, and gloves um, through um, cradles and crayons, mm -hmm. which were um, very nice. Yeah, we just um, wrote a story about them a couple months ago. Yeah, and then also um, we also received a huge donation um, from an organization. Um, the two gentlemen, their name is um, Dan Plouffe and Mario Alvarez. And every year they do this holiday mission, and they were able to donate to 63 of our students um, Boots, winter boots, um, coats, and backpacks, and that was just amazing. That's amazing. You know, yeah. we 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 see the news about Lawrence Public Schools, and we look for graduation rates, dropout rates, maybe violence in the schools. But some of the good things that happen in the Lawrence Public Schools kind of never get talked about. And so I think it's really important for people to understand. I mean, we talk about bad news in Lawrence all the time, but we also try to balance it with some of the good things that are happening. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to thank you and congratulate You're you welcome. and Jeff Riley and David and everybody that works on those things. Because I don't think the general public realizes when there's a homeless problem, when there's an opioid problem, there are always, almost always children involved. Yes. And we never hear about their plight and what they're dealing with and how they are trying to get through their childhood with all this going on. So I appreciate that, and thank you for coming Thank in. you. You're welcome. I think that what, what really is needed in the city of Lawrence is um, a lot of uh, affordable housing mm -hmm. and local shelters. I'm, I'm kind of against affordable housing. Okay. But, we'll, you know, we'll talk about that. <laughs> okay. but, but I do agree we need to have more homeless shelters. I think we have way too much affordable housing in Lawrence. Um, <laughs> but I do, I do agree because, you know, the city of Lawrence, one of the things that the, that the city doesn't do, and it's not the school department, but the city of Lawrence doesn't spend one dime on homelessness. There was not one dime in the city budget dedicated to homelessness. So, they, so the Daybreak Homeless Shelter is 100% funded by the state. Mm -hmm. The Good Shepherd Center is funded by private donations. And what is the city doing? They're doing nothing. In the poorest community, we're dealing with the poorest demographic, the poorest group of people in the poorest community in New England. And it just seems very bizarre to me that you have a city council that sits there for an hour debating whether or not to boycott Maine because they hurt their feelings. And they're not sitting there talking about how they can service kids of homeless people and, and, the, and the opioid crisis in Lawrence. It just it staggers my, my imagination every time I think about it. You don't have to comment on that. I know you work for I will not. <laughs> Listen, thank you so much for coming. Do you have anything else you want to impart no, on us before we let you go? No, that was it. thank you so much for coming. Will you, will you come back? Yes, definitely. You sure? Yes, I will. I, t I wonder when she got here, before we went on the air, I said, now I know you're used to working in the Lawrence Public Schools, and it's totally politically correct, everything you have to do. This is going to be culture shock for the first few minutes, but you'll get through it. Did you get through it okay? Yes, I did. All right, thank you so much you're for coming. You're welcome. I thank you for it. having us. Thanks. All right, I'm Tom Duggan. We're going to take a quick break. Oh, thank you, studio audience. Awesome.
We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with Ira Kelts. He's going to be doing the um, uh, he's going to be doing his report on is a new drug out to deal with the opioid crisis. We kind of focus on that a lot here, and we're going to continue to doing that because I think the rest of the media is doing an awful job at it. Um, so we're going to take a quick break, come back and do Ira's report, and then I'm going to probably lose my temper about a couple of topics. So we'll be back after this. I'm paying attention. All right, we're going to try this one more time. For some reason, I can't keep a signal here. So we just left the Daybreak Homeless Shelter on Winter Street in Lawrence. Last night, there was some discussion at the Lawrence City Council meeting that perhaps people were being turned away and being told that there weren't enough beds when, in fact, there were empty beds in the shelter. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of the people that run the Daybreak, uh, a lot of the people who advocate for Daybreak, and nothing pissed me off more than even hearing the accusation that homeless people would be made to sleep out in the cold while there were empty beds at Daybreak and that shenanigans were going on. So tonight, I decided that um, I was going to get Karina uh, Papalato, who runs the organization, uh, away from her personal time. I apologize for that, Karina, but I wanted to make a point, and I think we did. Uh, went down to daybreak, waited for Karina to show up. I told her I was there. I asked her to meet me there, and did a spot inspection of the beds at daybreak. Now. People checking into Daybreak Homeless Shelter have to be there by 9 o'clock. If they're not there by 9 o'clock, unless they're a regular, um, they can't get in. If they're a regular and they have a job that they're coming from or something, they're given some leeway on the time. So we went in around 9.35, spoke with the staff. Um, by the way, those of you who have been emailing me about our friend Louis Rosalie that we found last week uh, laying on the ground, he's still there and getting services and he's also clean, which is awesome. Uh, no alcohol, no drugs, and he's getting into a program. They're trying to get him into transition, and, and he's actually really doing well, so I'm really happy about that. Um, they were really happy to let me walk through and inspect the bats. I was a little surprised, because last week when I was there, there was somebody there who was not really happy to let me do that. Um, I can tell you tonight, I can't vouch for any other night, but I can tell you tonight, the people who are criticizing a daybreak and saying that there were empty beds, they're right about that in a way. But let me explain to you why. Tonight there were 55 uh, spots at daybreak. That's their capacity. Uh, they can't go any any more than that because they just they don't have the room and they certainly don't have the staff or the or the amenities. Um, there were four empty beds, but they're still at capacity. The reason why they have four empty beds tonight is because there are four people who stay at daybreak every night who have jobs where they work until 11 o'clock. And because they went out and they got themselves jobs and they're trying to make their lives a little bit better, uh, daybreak tries to accommodate them and will hold their bed for them till 11 o'clock so that they can come from their job and, uh, and have a place to sleep. So I can understand how someone who doesn't know how daybreak works, as I didn't last night, um, Hearing that there's empty beds at 9 o'clock while people are being turned away, thinking, yeah, maybe there's some shenanigans going on here. Trust me, if there were, whether Karina's my friend or not, I'd be the first one to throw her under the bus if I thought for a minute that they were making somebody sleep out in the cold while they had an empty bed. All right. 
Are we back? We are back. We are back. I was used to the music coming back. That's what was throwing me. Sorry. Um, that's okay. Look, you got a lot, we threw a lot of stuff at you today. <laughs> so anything that you do is wrong today is I'm, I'm okay with. Uh, we have – so welcome back to the Paying Attention a Television Podcast. Uh, I want to thank Arlen Santiago from the Lawrence Public Schools to come in and talk a little bit about the homelessness and what they deal with with homeless children. Uh, and Fred, obviously, for coming in and doing the, uh, the, doing the news with us. And, of course, Maddie coming up and sitting here and looking pretty. She left. We, we asked her to stay because we want more prettiness, but she had stuff to do. Um, she left her laptop with you. She though. left her laptop nice with me with, with little sparklies on the back. I always appreciate Ira, that. Ira, how do you feel about that? Yeah, so Ira's with us. Ira, you've got a report that you've been working on all week, and we're dying to hear about what it is. Ira. All right. We're back to technical difficulties with our friend Ira. Back to technical difficulties. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Let me just mute him. Sorry, you're going to have to fill. That's okay. All right. So, um, do you want to do some of your questions? Uh, yeah. So Maddie is here. Um, she has been uh, doing some, some pre-production all week. And um, <laughs> she got uh, she she asked me to post online uh, whether or not anybody had any questions for me to answer during the show. So we had four questions that came in that we thought might be worth answering. Uh, the first one is is this the first one here. Yeah. How many undocumented children are in Massachusetts public schools? I think that was probably a question for my guest. Um, probably. But that's something that we can. I don't know if we can find that out actually because I'm not sure that they track it. I think the people who are in favor of illegal aliens coming here and staying here and getting all the free benefits have gone out of their way to make sure we can't track how many there are. Um, but now that we've got a new president that, uh, that is not seditious and actually loves America and wants to put America first, uh, we might be able to get those numbers on a subsequent show. So we'll give that a shot. Uh, next question. In your opinion, what is the solution to the opioid epidemic? <laughs> you, don't, you don't want my solution. Trust me. Uh, the opioid epidemic, uh, not only here but across the country. I don't know that there is any one solution. Um, I think building a border wall is important. I think the federal government being intimately involved and working with local law enforcement to get illegal aliens who are criminals out of the country is important. Um, I see that California just became their own country, apparently. Um, they what? decided that they, they wanted to become a sanctuary state, and they've said, F you to the federal government. We're not going to enforce federal immigration laws. Uh, here's why that's a bad idea. That's going to that's gonna turn into a revolution if that keeps going because we already fought this war. It was called the Civil War where states thought they could do whatever the hell they wanted and they said, no, we're going to keep slaves. We don't care that you're getting rid of slaves. And a whole bunch of people died and we settled this like 150 some odd years ago. So if California decides they're just going to not enforce federal immigration laws, well, where does that go from there? I mean... If someone robs a bank, that's a federal law, right? The local cops respond. They don't say, oh, no, that's a federal law. We have to let the FBI come in and handle that. So as we move forward, the federal government's going to start pulling, pulling funding from California. I think we've got a big problem. I think we've got – when you have a state whose elected officials care more about the citizens of other governments, citizens of other countries, people who aren't even supposed to be here, people who didn't ask our permission, who just snuck into the country – and you care more about them than the people who are actually in this country. When I was growing up, we had a word for that. It was called traitor. When you cared more about America's adversaries, when you cared more about other countries than your own country, you're a friggin' traitor. That's what you are. That's what Jerry Brown is, and that's what the legislators are in California. Um, but back to the original question, I don't think there's any one solution to the opioid crisis. I think part of it is going after the dealers. 
I think part of it is stopping all sanctuary cities. Um, and then I really think that we need to start clamping down on judges because we see, and I sit in court a lot for reports, and we see people come in. They've been, they've been arrested and or convicted numerous times for selling coke, for selling heroin, for selling other stuff. And everything always just seems to get pleaded down to some lesser charge, and they end up not doing the hard time that's mandatory that they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I, treatment is obviously uh, is something that's important, but going back to my original answer, I guess the short answer is there's no one answer to that question. I think there's a lot of things that kind of have to come together. Uh, third question. Are we good? No, just right? yet. Okay, that's fine. I'll keep going. Um, Third, third question is probably the best question that we got, right? Yeah. So, so some a-hole comes on my Facebook page and says, hey, it's pretty bad out there. Where, where do you think all the homeless are now? Where do you think all the homeless are today? That's a great question. Um, I, I sent a text message over to Karina uh, uh, Papalato, who runs the psychological center in the daybreak. I didn't get an answer back. Um, I would imagine that homeless shelters like daybreak, and I can't speak for them, but I would imagine they would let them stay there today. Normally, you have to be in by 9 o'clock or you can't get in, and at 7 o'clock in the morning or 8 o'clock in the morning, they throw you out, you can't stay. Um, kind of, you know, daytime, you're going to kind of go out and look for a job and live your life and do your thing. Um, I'm pretty sure on days like today, they let them stay. I'd be shocked if they didn't. Um, the people at the Good Shepherd Center, I'm pretty sure they are able to stay. So in Lawrence, it's funny because I drove around the last five nights, and it's the first time in about six years that I drove around the city of Lawrence and didn't find one homeless person. I pulled, into the, I pulled into McDonald's on Essex Street, and it was the first time I was able to order a friggin' burger without five people coming over and asking me if I had a cigarette or a dollar. Um, and it makes you wonder, if we can find a way to get every single homeless person off the streets of Lawrence, for whatever reason, it happens to be this reason happens to be snow, then why can't we do that every day? Why aren't there services for homeless people so that the good people of Lawrence who are not causing problems don't have to get accosted every day by people asking them for a dollar or for cigarettes or for $5 or for food. I, 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 it, it seems to me if we can find a way to, for five days to solve the problem, this should be a good launching point to actually solve the actual problem. That's just my, my, my take on it. All right, last question. Uh, what is the city of Lawrence's plan to fight the opioid crisis, homelessness, and gang violence? <laughs> Plan? You think Lawrence has a plan for anything? Lawrence doesn't have a plan for anything. The city council in Lawrence shows up before a meeting and half the guys look at each other and go, what's on the agenda tonight? They didn't even read their packets before they sat down. The mayor of Lawrence has zero plan. I, 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 I like Dan, and I know he doesn't think that I do because I'm ripping on him a lot lately. But it's just because I disagree with him politically. It's not that I don't like him. I actually do like the guy personally. But Dan told me to my face, I'm not spending a dollar on homelessness in Lawrence. I'm just not doing it. And if you ask me, if he was a right-wing conservative Republican, that would be an acceptable answer. But he's not. He's a left-wing, semi-progressive Democrat, liberal Democrat. And I don't know how you run as somebody who cares about the downtrodden and the homeless and then do absolutely nothing for the downtrodden and the homeless. Like, just walk the walk is all I'm asking. Uh, I can disagree with... Dan Rivera or any other mayor, any other city council on a political issue. But if you run on something, then you damn well better perform. And it's one thing to say we tried five things and they didn't work. It's another thing to say I'm not even going to try. So the Daybreak Homeless Shelter in Lawrence gets 100% funded by the state. 
Good Shepherd gets funded by, fed, by, uh, by private dollars. The city of Lawrence does nothing. The mayor's office does nothing. They're doing nothing about the opioid crisis. They're actually, the mayor's office is hindering the gang violence problem in Lawrence because he's completely tied the hands of the police. I literally heard maybe about three months ago, I'm listening to the scanner, and a cop is following someone who's refusing to pull over, and the sergeant comes on and says, per order of the mayor, break off your pursuit. Are you fucking kidding me? You have a mayor in Lawrence whose job is to run the city of Lawrence, and he's so micromanaging the police department that he's listening to the scanner and calling in plans of action for the cops while they're doing their jobs. It's outrageous. And yet, they can't handle the gang violence. They can't handle the street crime. They can't handle the homelessness issue. What are they doing? Think about this. Lawrence has a, about a $280 million budget. That's what they need to run their entire city. $240 million of that comes from the state and federal government. So out of the $280 million that gets spent every year just for basic services in Lawrence, they only take in $40 million in uh, property taxes. That means the rest of you guys are paying for it. That's what it means. And so if you add all that money up over the last 20 years, 30 years, and by the way, that doesn't even count all the grants that come in, the $100 million in grants that come in, like the school system. That's not even part of the budget. So you're really talking maybe $500 million a year that are being spent in the city of Lawrence. Prorate that over the last 20 years. That's billions of dollars that have been spent in Lawrence. Drive around Lawrence. You see billions of dollars worth of investment? Because I don't. I don't see billions of dollars worth of investment. The money comes in and it gets spent and you drive around the city the next day and nothing has changed. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know what the answer is, but part of the answer is stop giving Lawrence money. Make Lawrence more self-sufficient. When Lawrence actually has to stop paying their own friggin' bills, when Lawrence has to figure out a way to solve their own problems, you'll be amazed at how quickly they start solving these problems. They solved it for five days. I don't understand why they can't solve it. Um, is Ira ready? Is he good? I, uh, I'm going to attempt to... I tried to call his cell phone. All right. And I believe he's got me on hold here. So believe it or not, we actually had this worked out before we went live. It worked out perfectly. Yeah, it was great. Ira, can you hear us? I can hear you now. Oh, that's good. He's back. So, Ira, give us your segment before we lose you. Oh, my God. All right. Uh, let me just, all right. I'm trying to log back on that's to it, Skype, but I will... Uh, Do not log back on to Skype. I'll yeah, kill you. <laughs> I will kill you. Do not log back on to Skype. Just all stay right. on the phone, and I'll pull up the uh, the slides, and uh, and we'll follow okay, along with you. Okay, sounds good. Let's get started. All right. So, on our last show, we shared some very troubling statistics regarding the outrageous number of opioid-related deaths occurring here in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. Now, Tom, last week you had a question regarding this, um, according to the uh, Journal of American Medicine. Public health experts believe that for every fatal drug overdose in the U.S., there are approximately 30 non-fatal overdoses. So it's 30 to 1, and that means in 2015 there were over 900,000 opioid overdoses. Wow. What do you think of that? In Massachusetts, that's almost a million people died. So if, if, if there was... Well, that's, that's, that's in the U.S. That's in the oh, US. the U.S. I thought it was mass. Okay. That's still almost a million so, people in this country that are not here anymore because of opioids. Well, I mean, they, they lived, but only one in 30. Um, I see, I you see. Know, 30 others. I'm sorry. 30 others uh, overdosed, but I'm don't being, die. I'm being distracted by the eye candy sitting next to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll keep going. All right, yeah, just keep so, going. Uh, pull, yeah, pull up the first slide for me. Um, so Kiana's on vacation. She's in Florida, but uh, we'll be sharing this week a possible alternative treatment for opioid addiction, other health-related issues 
And this product is called Kratom. Kratom is a natural supplement made from the leaves of a tropical tree called Mitrogena speciosa that's native to Southeast Asia, and it's a relative of the coffee plant. Now, this only began to show up in the U.S. in about 2012, but it's also very easy to get online. And it's currently legal in Mass in New Hampshire. It's sold as a capsule or as a tea. And you can buy it at local smoke shops, convenience stores, and gas stations you know, all over the area. Graphic 2, please. Hundreds of thousands of people in the U.S. use Kratom daily for health issues such as chronic pain management, opioid withdrawal, uh, severe fatigue or mood enhancer for menstrual pain or treating uh, panic or anxiety attacks as well. In fact, thousands of veterans use this plant to treat PTSD-type symptoms. And it works on the, opi- on the uh, mu-opioid and serotonin and dopamine receptors in the brain, kind of like, like an opioid. Right. But it's not but, but a drug. It's, but it's not an opioid, so, though. It, it's not. No, it's a plant. So unlike prescription narcotics, it, it can't cause respiratory depression. It won't make you stop breathing, which is what typically causes death and overdoses. And... You know, the, the downside is, you know, it's not regulated for quality. So, you, you know, you never know what you're going to get. There's some brands that are better than others, obviously, just like any other nutritional supplements. So, Tom, why do you think that the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, the DEA, Drug Enforcement Agency, and, and state governments are trying to ban this product? Oh, oh, I know, because it works. Well, that and it's money. They're, you know, they're losing money. They've all been lobbied heavily by the pharmaceutical industry knowing that they could potentially lose millions of dollars if Kratom is widely used as an alternative to addictive painkillers like Oxy or Xanax for anxiety. Now, the third slide, please. Um, There's a quote from Christopher McGurdy, who's the president of the American Association of Pharmaceutical Scientists. And he he says, uh, it boils down to money. There's no financial incentive for any drug company to really pursue developing this into a drug. Developing Kratom into a therapy will cost hundreds of millions of dollars, and on top of that, patenting the plant is nearly impossible. Right. And so you know, there's two sides to every story. Um, a lot of people believe that Kratom may be a gateway into harder and more dangerous drugs. So they're using it so the to help people, but it can also go the other way, you're saying? Yeah, people, you know, people have said that you know, people who, who have been addicted to heroin, they may, they, may use it, they may use it, but then it kind of makes them, you know, hits the same receptors in the brain and they want to go back to, to heroin or whatever, right. or oxy. Um, so the FDA also cited serious concerns over the marketing and effects, including death, associated with the use of Kratom in the U.S. And they said there's no reliable evidence to support the use of Kratom as a treatment for opioid use disorder. And there are currently no FDA-approved therapeutic uses for Kratom. And the FDA has evidence to show that there are significant safety issues associated with its use. With, with its use. So the FDA says it's horrible. There's no proof. You know, it's, it's all bad. And even, you know, folks in New Hampshire, um, there was a meeting, according to the New Hampshire Union leader in April, uh, with Mayor Jim Donchis of Nashua's Drug Task Force. And they were talking about Kratom directly. And the drug, according to the task force, some people are turning to if they can't find heroin, fentanyl, or other controlled substances. Uh, a woman named Linda saunders Paquette of uh, this New Futures organization agreed that the new trend of Kratom should be studied further. Um, it's an herbal substance people use for pain relief that almost has a cult following. She said, adding that there are significant dependency concerns associated with the tree leaves from Southeast Asia. Now, this all came to a head when the DEA put out a notice saying, in, you know, in August of 2016, we're going designate to designate this as a Schedule One controlled substance, which is on the same level as heroin or LSD, mm-hmm. 
And they were going to do it within 30 days without any public comment period. They just said, screw it. We're just going to you know, make this the same as heroin. Why do you think that happened? Because it works? Maybe. Yeah, who knows? Um, <laughs> but finally, you know, what happened was people freaked out, and the agency backpedaled after 51 members of the U.S. House of Representatives, 51 congressmen, nine senators. They all sent a letter to the acting DEA administrator, Chuck Rosenberg, protesting the listing. And there was an online petition that 142,000 people signed in like three weeks. Wow. So 142,000 people took the time to sign an online petition because either themselves, a friend, or a family member was using Kratom to deal with chronic pain or to wean themselves off of opioids or alcohol. And north of the fifth graphic, part of that letter from the U.S. congressman read, as our nation continues to, to combat the public health crisis of opioid abuse, the federal government has invested significant resources to develop alternative pain management strategies. And this includes a study funded by the NIH, or the National Institute of Health, in partnership with the University of Massachusetts to investigate the use of Kratom as a remedy for opioid withdrawal. And this study led the researchers to apply for a patent identifying the Kratom extract as a useful treatment for other addictive drugs besides opiate derivatives. So the DEA's decision to place Kratom as a Schedule One substance, that would put a halt to federally funded research and innovations surrounding the treatment of individuals suffering from opioid and other addictions, which is a significant health, risk, health threat. Now get this. So after all that, the DEA said, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna ban it. Congressmen and senators went wild. After all that stuff, after 142,000 people spoke up, the DEA says, yeah, we, we understand the responses, but we're going to go forward with it anyways. Wow. We, we can't rely on public opinion and anecdotal evidence. We have to rely upon science. So that, that blew up into a storm. And I, uh, finally, they, they withdrew it. Oh, so they finally did withdraw it. So I was going to say, I wonder what the uh, Trump administration uh, feels about this, but, but you already answered well, the question that they did withdraw it. Yeah, I mean, it's the federal, federal level. So uh, what they said, the FDA also said that calls to U.S. poison control centers regarding Kratom increased tenfold between 2010 and 2015, and they attributed 36 deaths associated with the products con- containing Kratom, 36 deaths. And the DEA also reported there were 15 deaths between, between 2014 and 2016. Wow. So that's about maybe 40 or 50 deaths. Yep. Compare that to, to Tylenol. Acetaminophen killed 1,500 people in 10 years between 20, 2001 and 20, 2010. Wow. So 1,500 people killed by Tylenol, about 40 by Kratom-containing products. And most of those folks were using other drugs. Um, so that, you know, that's, that's basically the We're going to have to take your report. We're going to have to put it uh, as, a, as a written story in the Valley Patriot. I think this is a great story. I think this is a good, a good report. I think it's a great story. Will you, well, pro- will you promise you. to keep up on this? Will you follow this story for us if there's any developments and bring it back to us on Subsequent shows? Yeah, well, you know, I, I bought some Kratom. I'm, I'm trying it out, giving it a shot. Oh, you bought some? Well, get some for me. Uh, well, sure. All right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, there, actually, actually, Kratom is illegal in seven states, um, plus Washington, D.C. So, you can't get it in Alabama, Arkansas, Indiana, Tennessee, Rhode Island, Vermont, Wisconsin, and Washington, D.C. And the U.S. Army's forbidden soldiers from using it as well. Wow. But n- now, for our listeners and viewers, if you've if you have a family member or if you've ever tried Kratom, we would love to hear your thoughts and comments on our Paying Attention Show Facebook page. Mm-hmm. So please drop us a line. 
And that's it for this week's IQ segment. Back to you, Tom. All right. Thank you very much, Ira. Ira Keltz, uh, our, our segment uh, news guy. I forget what the title is that we gave him because we just make it up as we go along. <laughs> um, but I appreciate Ira. I'm going to try and get Ira's segment sponsored, too. We're going to try and find someone that wants to sponsor Ira's segment so we can pay him. Right now, everybody's doing this for free. In fact, for the last 14 years, everything I've done, people have done for free. <laughs> and, uh, and now I think we've got a vehicle now where we can generate some revenue and we can actually pay people what they're worth for the work that they're doing. Um, uh, Maddie uh, Ryan is sitting in with me here. Uh, we've got, uh, we're, we're at exactly 3.01. I'm going to do like, is that okay, Jonathan? Will you do another 10 minutes yeah, so I can do my go rant? Yeah, do your rant. Um, because, because we've got... Um, We've got so many things going on in the Merrimack Valley. We've got so many things going on nationally that I wanted to address. I get a lot of emails. I must get five to 600 emails a day. Um, after going through and getting rid of all the spam, I probably have about 350 emails that I actually have to read and answer. Um, a, a lot of people asking questions about stuff, and I think sometimes if I get 15, 20 people asking the same question, it's just easier to answer it on the show than it is to send 15 emails back. Um, Got a lot of emails this week about the, uh, about the uh, illegal aliens situation and the situation in California, sanctuary cities, Lawrence being a sanctuary city. Um, I touched on it a little bit. I guess the only thing I can really say more about this is I have my own immigration plan. And if everybody followed the Tom Duggan immigration plan, we'd be just fine. What is okay. the Tom Duggan immigration plan? Here's May the, I ask? Here's the Tom Duggan immigration plan. If you're sneaking into the country from Mexico and you're a female between the ages of 18 and like 28, you can stay. I'm okay with that. <laughs> All right? I and am if okay have, with And that. if you have kids, your kids can stay too. But baby daddy, he's got to go home. He can't stay. <laughs> All right? So what this does now is this helps us populate America with, you know, awesome. I love, I love Latin culture. You know, if you follow me on Facebook, you know, when I'm driving around Lawrence, I'm listening to Spanish music sometimes. Uh, half my friends are Latinos. Dominican, Puerto Rican, Jorge Gonzalez is, is Ecuadorian. Um, so it has nothing to do with actual race, but it does have an awful lot to do with people coming to this country illegally. They are citizens of other governments. Think about this. Here's how I like when I'm talking to an idiot liberal who's just, just doesn't want to listen to anything. Imagine you join the Elks, like it's a social club, and they decide that they're going to have uh, a meeting to, dis to determine who's going to be their grand elk, who's going to be their president of the Elks Club. And the day of the vote, 25 guys from the Knights of Columbus down the street come walking in and they decide they want to vote. Well, wait a minute, you're not even a member of this club. Why should you be allowed to pick who our leader is? What's well, the same thing? You have illegal aliens coming into this country from wherever they come from. I don't care if it's Iceland. They come into this country and they can vote. Please don't email me and say they can't vote. We know for sure on the ground in Lawrence that they do vote because there's no mechanism to stop an illegal alien from voting. And the lie we hear on CNN every day is, well, where's your proof? Where are the statistics? Where's your study? We need studies to tell us that water is wet because we can't think for ourselves. Listen, just look on the ground floor in Chicago, in Philadelphia, Lawrence, Massachusetts, Miami. What stops an illegal alien from voting? Think about it. You go to the registry, you get a motor voter card. You can, be from, you can be from Uganda. You can be from Russia. You fill out your motor voter card. That card goes to your local election department. They send a card to the address that you listed. And if it doesn't come back undeliverable, you're a registered voter. Period. So how do you, how do you stop someone? Where along the process is there, a, is there a mechanism to stop illegal aliens from voting? There isn't one. And that's the bottom line. 
And that's why there are no statistics of how many illegals have voted, because the Ted Kennedy Motor Voter Bill was specifically designed to allow illegal aliens to vote when they get here, and it also created an environment where it is literally a criminal offense, it's a felony, if a member of, let's say, the Lawrence Election Department is uh, at the counter, and an illegal alien walks in and says, I want to register to vote. It's illegal for him to even remind the guy that you have to be an American citizen to vote. It's illegal. It's a felony. That guy can go to friggin' jail if he just reminds the person on the other side of the counter, hey, by the way, just so you know, you, you have to be a citizen to vote. Or asks them if they're a citizen to vote. Or asks them to prove that they're a citizen. So, of course, there are no statistics. Anderson Cooper on CNN, you asshole. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, we hear these lies day after day after day, and it seeps into our subconscious to the point where you meet someone at a water cooler somewhere, and they're just spouting what they heard on CNN. They've never even given it a thought. You've got to think about these things. Um, what's my next topic? I could go 20 more minutes just on that one, but I'm not going to. Uh, Tom's immigration plan. Yeah, we got Tom's immigration plan. Uh, line of duty deaths. I don't have the actual numbers in front of me. I know the line of duty deaths with police officers went down last year. Um, we're not going to do the uh, video of the cops because we're over. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of things we wanted to get to. I'm going through my mail this week, mm -hmm. and I saw something come in from Barbara Latalian. She's kind of on our radar screen because she's, she's a state senator running for Congress. And I thought, oh, great, we've got a good news story for the show. Barbara Latalian sent us something from her congressional campaign. And I open it, and it's Barbara Latalian announces her 2017 first annual holiday Christmas card contest. Are you kidding me? <laughs> You really think that's news? Like, you paid someone to sit down at a computer and put that into a press release and sent it out. And by the way, they sent us copies of all the cards that won. Come on. That's news? That's not news. That's not, like, that's not anything. That's like, oh, look at me. I care about children. That's all that is. And by the way, I'm only picking on Barbara, but I get 100 of those a week. Uh, Jim Ferentini sends me one, like, three times a day I get something from the mayor of Haverhill saying, oh, he's, he's raising a flag for the Lithuanian Day. Like, that's news? Seriously. Come on. Uh, what's our next news story? Frank Cousins. How much time you got? Can we go two more hours? Absolutely I could, not. I could give you two hours on Frank Cousins. Frank Cousins, the uh, former Essex County Sheriff, um, one of the most corrupt elected officials we've had in Massachusetts, at least in my lifetime. Let me put it this way if you think I'm exaggerating. He makes Willie Lantigua look like a choir boy. Okay? So let that sink in for a minute. Uh, Frank was just hired to run the, um, the Chamber of Commerce in Newburyport and to top it all off. So not only is he shilling for the Newburyport Daily Snooze, uh, and by the way, the reason he's, new, he's shilling for the Newburyport Daily Snooze is because while he was sheriff, they covered up all of his corruption for him. And by the way, would go on the attack and would attack people who were trying to expose corruption. I know because I was one of them. So he now is going to be writing a column for the Daily Snooze, the New Report Daily Snooze that just finally got rid of John McCone from the Tribune has now hired Frank Cousins, of all people, to write like an insider's column for them. So you, may, you might want to make sure you pick that up. This is a guy that should be in prison. I don't even know why he's out. Uh, we talked about the snowstorm. Oh, I got a, one more thing I, I do want to hit before we leave. Um, got a, a couple things, and we'll talk about sponsors as we, as we sign off. Uh, there is a website called Turtle Boy Sports. It is kind of like Barstool Sports. Um, they've kind of gone in a little bit of a different direction. And basically what they do is they out uh, corrupt public officials. 
And they also go after scam artists. So you've got people online that are putting up a GoFundMe page saying that, uh, you know, their mother's dying and they need money to buy a casket. And these guys, they do the research and find out who's full of shit and who's not. And when they find people with these fake GoFundMe pages for stuff, they research those individuals and then they expose them on their page. Well, apparently Facebook, the fascists at Facebook, have decided to take down the Turtle Boy Sports Facebook page under the guise that they are, and you'll appreciate this because you're a millennial, bullying. They're bullying poor drug dealers. Like, this is what they do. They go after people that have GoFundMe pages, and they find out they've been arrested for, like, selling meth 15 times, and they expose the guy's whole criminal record, and they expose them as frauds. And apparently that's bad to Facebook because if you're bullying drug dealers, we can't have that. They have feelings, apparently, and we, we, we can't allow them to have their feelings. If anything, wouldn't that bring more people to look at Facebook because you would this think? is happening? Right. Like, that's how I'm thinking about yeah. it. I don't, I don't know. I don't think Facebook cares so much about money anymore because they're so rich. They just care about ideology. So they took down the Turtle Boy page because they were bullying. And now they're trying really hard to get their page back up. In the meantime, they've set up some separate pages. Now, I know that they've made some mistakes. We've got a friend that's really unhappy with them about one of the mistakes that they made or that he thinks that they made. Um, but I think there's a tremendous value to what we're doing here and to what they're doing. And we're doing very similar things. We're taking things that are happening locally. We're taking real people that are really involved in stuff and we're presenting it to the public, whereby the Eagle Tribune is covering it up, the Lowell Sun's covering it up, the Boston Globe's covering it up, and 4, 5, and 7 are too busy running around telling stories about, you know, lesbians that are having their feelings hurt. You know, uh, somebody wrote on a, on a piece of paper on their, uh, on their receipt at a restaurant to the waitress, uh, I'm not giving you a tip because I don't agree with your lifestyle. That's like a big story to the local news, right? 4, 5, and 7, they're all about someone called somebody a name. You know, Steve, uh, Gronkowski from the Patriots one day, uh, made some kind of an Asian joke with an Asian guy. It was the top news story on, on, uh, on Channel 7. So they don't, even, they don't even really report anymore, most of the Boston press. Um, they certainly don't do any homework, and they certainly don't do, with few exceptions, investigative reports. They, I believe there's a value, and that's what we try to do with the Valley Patriot every month. We find one story, we try to research the hell out of it, and present a real story, not just this drive-by headline with one or two paragraphs that really doesn't tell you much. Uh, you should go to Turtle Boy Sports, Google it. You should, um, you should become a member on their page. They can use the support. Um, and they've run a couple of our stories a few times, made sure that we had all of our ducks in a row, asked us for our research. We appreciate that, and we appreciate their diligence. Um, we hope that they get their, their, uh, their Facebook page back. But if you think about it, the way... Facebook and YouTube have been behaving politically lately. They're really stifling free speech. And it really should be. I can't, I, I can't understand why the government hasn't stepped in and declared these high-tech, multi-million dollar corporations monopolies because they are their information monopolies. And if YouTube can take down a, one of my videos because I'm smoking on the video or they don't like the song that's being played, um, it, really, it really hampers free speech. I mean, free speech is only free speech if you have access to people who can hear it. Right? So, anyways, that's my take on uh, Turtle Boy Sports. I've actually totally lost my, my place here. I don't know how to use a Mac, so I'm using <laughs> Maddie, so I forgot my laptop. Uh, we do want to thank everybody if we've got music going out of the show. Um, I had a couple more things that I wanted to get to, but we're very late. We are going to work out the bugs on this show. Eventually, we're going to make it a two-hour show. I think this is it's really hard to cram everything into one hour a week. If we get more sponsors, then we will go longer. 
If you'd like to sponsor it, um, our, our, our mo least expensive package is $550 for a month. You'll get a print ad in the Valley Patriot. You'll get ads on the Valley Patriot website. You'll get mentions on this show, and you'll get your logo on the screen underneath the desk here. We want to thank our first paid sponsor, a Twin Light Security. They actually do my security, um, and they're located in Boston. We appreciate them. Uh, we're going to give them today for free. We'll start their four weeks next week because uh, we didn't uh, get to do some of the things we wanted. Teams in Gala, Century 21, uh, A&M Auto Body in Lawrence, the Tashi Law Office on Essex Street in Lawrence, Dental Partners on South Broadway in Lawrence, Two Guys Smoke Shop right here. The, that's yeah, where baby. We're, we're Broadcasting from, come on down, buy a cigar from uh, from Dave. Uh, Methuen Family Restaurant, cost us at Methuen Family Restaurant is looking for employees. So if you need a job and you uh, can wait tables or you can cook, go down to Methuen Family Restaurant, tell him you saw this podcast, tell him you're a friend of mine, and he'll probably hire you. Uh, e Keys for Cars and the law offices of attorney. Paul Lambert. I want to thank everybody for coming in. Uh, Maddie Ryan for, uh, for being here with her parents. Uh, John Bergeron for helping us produce this show and getting the show off the ground. David Two Guys Smoke Shop. Mr. Jonathan, our executive producer. And uh, Christina Jascott. I want to thank Stephanie Jascott for getting us Christina Jascott. And Kiana and, uh, Kiana and Ira Keltz. 